presenting for the first time in radio the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon and Dale Arden. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The Comic Weekly, now printed in 32 tabloid-sized pages, each page in full four colors, is distributed everywhere as a part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Welcome to Astounding Radio, where we're living in the second golden age of pulp, science fiction, horror, fantasy, everything you'll need to know, and a lot of stuff you probably don't want to hear. I'm Scott. And I'm Mike. And this week we're going to talk about zombies. Um, why zombies? Well, because George Romero passed away a little while ago, um, a few weeks ago, maybe a month, depending on when this airs. Um, and the zombie genre was a game changer for movies, video games, and novels. So, Mike, what's your uh, your favorite zombie film? Probably Day of the Dead. The one where they're, uh, it's 1984, they're stuck in the bunker? Yes. yes. Uh, Romero's third in his original trilogy. Why is it your favorite? That's a good question. Maybe it's got cooler special effects than the, than the previous two. Oh, don't blaspheme Tom Savini. Um, he was just learning on the first two. <laughs> And it's traditional zombie in that it's a small, in, in the classic traditional sense of it's a small group of people trying to survive in a zombie world. Who ultimately fall apart because they give in to their own vices. Yes, although it's got the ambiguous ending. Some of them get away on the helicopter, but there at the end you don't know whether where they're going will be any better than where they left. Right, well, I mean, and I think that's the point of all of Romero's films. Things fall apart because we can't work together, and you don't know if you're going to survive at the end. I've got to go with uh, 1978's Dawn of the Dead. The, the one that started it all. Well, no, it's the second one in the series, right? Night of the oh, yeah, Night of the First. 68, and then Dawn is 78. Um, for the young listeners, not the 2004 um, remake. Yeah, I'm blanking out on the guy's name. He also did Batman vs. Superman. That's all you need to know. Zack Schneider can't make movies. I don't know why they keep giving him movies. But in Romero's 78 Dawn of the Dead, um, the survivors are in a shopping mall. So they're pretty much set until they sort of get greedy and decide to, rather than hide, uh, fight it out with a gang of uh, well-organized bikers. And, of course, they lose. And then... Two of them escaped in a helicopter. There's a trend here in those two movies. Um, but as the camera pans out, you see that the helicopter is almost out of fuel. So they might make it. But they might not. But they might not. And I, and I think that's key in the zombie genre. You know, One of the things I like about Day is the zombie apocalypse was going on for a while. So it's already... The world's already fallen to crap. But... Rather than giving up, they're still trying. It, it, in some ways, it's hopeful because they're. You, you've got the good doctor. <laughs> doctor, uh, well, they call it Frankenstein, but it's uh, Logan. Yeah, it is Doctor Logan. I haven't seen this movie in like 
10 years. Yeah, so. it's been at least that long for me, too, I think. But he's experimenting on the zombies still. They're trying to learn all they can, as opposed to just holding up, trying to survive. They, they're, they're still trying to make an effort to do something more than just survive. But now, his efforts are a little... He's feeding his fingers to Bob. Let's keep that in mind. That when but he runs out of fresh cadaver parts, he's using his own. You know, Bob is another reason why I like it. You have a zombie who's been tamed somewhat in right. this movie. Well, um, and at the end when he shoots the uh, the military commander and then salutes him, that always sort of gets me. I mean, and that's the fun of the zombie movies. Until recently, no one, not even the makers of them, took them seriously. So you could have a very serious storyline and make some very serious points, like in Dawn of the Dead, that going to the malls and mass consumerism, we're no different than the zombies. And at the same time, you have funny stuff, like the zombie that walks through the helicopter blade, or bugs saluting. At the same time, the salute is also, in my mind, the first sign that maybe you could do a zombie with some intelligence. Oh, because he's, he's shown to have regained some knowledge, at least a, a, an inkling of the knowledge he had before. Right. Well, he talks on the toy telephone. Hello, Anta Lucia. Um, and he salutes the military commander the first time he sees the rank. So it does show some some previous memory. It, it's interesting. Um, Romero's next movie was going to be um, City of the Dead, I think is what the working title was. And he wanted to create a world where zombies and humans kind of coexisted. As long as you had a big enough wall to keep the zombie herds or hordes out, the zombies were basically just, you know, laying down in the street, decomposing and either used as slave labor if they were uh, well enough put together or just sort of ignored like we do homeless no uh, studio would fund that movie, though. Um, but his 2004 Land of the Dead kind of came close. Um, I don't think you've seen that one, have you? I have not seen that one. It's the one with Dennis Hopper. It's just for Dennis Hopper alone. Dennis Hopper, John Leguizamo, the, the level of acting he could, actors he could bring in with uh, Universal backing him up was just fantastic. But odd thing, 2004, movie comes out. They start making it in 2002. Universal won't let him use an African-American protagonist. Even though he used it in his original All film. of his original movies. And, I mean, he did it in 1968 when, well, I was about to say it was a part of our dark history, but we're seeing it today sometimes, too. I mean, you were having open Klan rallies, and you had never seen a black man strike a white man on screen before. Um, and you didn't have things like interracial romance. I mean, Star Trek had just done the horror and Kirk kiss. Um, so in 68, Romero uses an African-American protagonist, does it for all of his movies. In 2004, you know, we're supposed to be civilized and, and intelligent and universal. goes, no, nah, we don't think it would play well for the audience. So uh, Romero went and uh, made the lead zombie African-American, so, which, you know, for what it's worth. Um, so you said, but, Dave, but on, on that note, with, with him casting a lead, a, a African American in the lead in Night of the Living Dead, he wasn't doing that to make any kind of statement. He wasn't doing that to try to promote civil rights. He was doing that because he was casting a person. He just didn't see the color, which well, is the way we all should be. Well, but he did. He did see the color. He didn't write. And Romero in interviews has talked about this. He wrote the character of Ben just as a person. As a person. 
which unfortunately sort of defaults to Caucasian, especially if you're a Caucasian writer, that's what you think about. Um, but when it came time for the auditions and people that would work for the little money he was paying him, uh, Dwayne, I don't, I want to say Johnson, but I know that's the rock. Yeah. Anyways, Dwayne was the best actor for the part. And so he gave it to him. And then, uh, the actor promptly pointed out to him that a lot of the scenes needed to be rewritten. And for the most part, they left the scenes the way they were. Um, because again, in, in that time period, there were certain things you couldn't do on screen. But Romero had seen the movie as failed revolution, right? The, the ending of night. And I'm sure the, um, uh, oh, what's the term? Anyways, I, I'm sure the statute of limitations for spoilers is long since gone. Cause yes. uh, night of living dead is in public domain. Um, so you can actually watch it on YouTube for free and not pirate. Um, in the Indian the movie, the, uh, the protagonist, uh, Ben, is actually shot by a bunch of rednecks who really don't care if it's a human or a zombie, which in the 60s, and probably today if the movie was, was made fresh, uh, takes on a completely different meaning given the, the racial tensions. Um, and fans since then have sort of always read the, the racial connotations into it, which is... I don't know. It, I mean, in my mind, it's less important what the creator of the art sort of intended than what how the audience interprets it. You know what I mean? It resonated with a, a thread in, in popular culture at that time um, and uh, became quite a success. I mean, because of that and because of the fact that they messed up the copyright. So yeah, it was public so domain public within domain two years. And they could play it on whichever local channel needed something. Drive-in movie theaters could show it. Um, I mean, it was really kind of interesting because the initial title of the movie was Night of the Flesh Eaters. And Romero put the copyright statement on the title card, eh, making hand gestures, which nobody could see, um, on the title card. And the distributor called them and said, I hate that title. Why don't we call it Night of the Living Dead? And Good as, choice, yeah, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Night of the Flesh Eaters would not have worked, I think, as well as Night of the Living Dead. No, I don't, I don't think it would have either. But so they cut the, the title piece of film off, which meant it was sent out to theaters without the copyright notification, which meant it's not under copyright. So I think uh, an interview I heard of him, I think it was about 18 months after the release and they're making money, which they never expected to do with the film. And all of a sudden the royalty checks quit coming. And it's because... All of the uh, uh, film distributors realized we don't have to pay him for it legally, so they didn't. But we, th but this probably worked out in Romero's favor in the first place because this would not have probably become the cult classic it is and led the way to all the other zombie films if it hadn't been in public domain. Oh, it absolutely. Free to play everywhere, anytime. I mean, they showed the crap out of it, which meant that Romero's creation went into the popular lexicon. But, interestingly enough, if you watch Night of the Living Dead, they're never referred to as zombies. They call them ghouls. Um, they call them things, but they don't call them zombies. Do you think Kirkman followed suit on purpose? Um, so, Kirkman with The Walking Dead has actually said he wanted to uh, create a world different than ours so that the zombie mythology didn't exist so that all of the characters and hopefully the readers would see it through a new light, see it through his way. I mean, and that's a, an interesting creative choice because 
honestly, in most movies, uh, zombie films, and I've, I've seen way too many, um, if you just instantly call them zombies, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know. And then the well, movies, unless, you know, if, if if you're in a world similar to ours and zombie apocalypse happens, everybody's going to know that they're zombies. Right. But in sort of, you know, I mean, you, you suspend disbelief when you watch a movie, but you're suspending disbelief the first time a, a dead person gets up, somebody goes zombies, it, it sort of throws the movie. There are some films that have sort of playfully played with it. Um, there was a horrible film adaptation of House of the Dead, which was an amazing arcade game. And, um, I mean, it was just horrible. I, I would recommend nobody watch this film. But they had the one character that had seen all the Romero movies and knew exactly what to do to survive. And, of course, House of the Dead doesn't really stick with Romero zombies, so he got eaten pretty quick. Um, it's kids raving on an island that had some mad scientist who was uh, reanimating things. But, um, no, I mean, Kirkman has said that he... Uh, he didn't use the term zombie because he wanted to sort of do his own fresh take. But he was also, I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with The Walking Dead. I, I really love the TV show, but I don't get the obsession with the comic book. And I love comic books. I just think his dialogue is poorly written. But um, Kirkman's interest in it was, in all of the movies, like we were talking about a little while ago, it ends. And you don't know if they survive. And so his thought was, well, what happens to the people next? And that's what he wanted to do with The Walking Dead, is tell the next story. Which I, I think, at least for TV, he's done a really good job. Yes. Well done Well done show, definitely. That has been groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've brought movie techniques into TV making. Um, AMC has shown that you can be sort of a, a third-tier Cable a successful show. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a show that's beat Sunday Night Football, and and nobody had ever done that before. Which is not just opened the way for other zombie stuff, um, but opened the way for a lot of smaller networks, right? by smaller, I mean the non-primetime right. major networks, to experiment with quality shows. That specifically go into, like, sub-genres of geek. I mean, um, FX has Legion. A superhero show, which I have not seen. Which is very experimental in the way it's done, which I don't think they could have even gotten the green light on without shows like The Walking Dead or um, Mad Men or uh, Breaking Bad or some of these other really right. successful non-top-tier market shows. Oh, absolutely. Or, I mean, thinking with AMC, they've brought in other comic books, right? They've brought in Preacher. They've brought in... Uh, into the Badlands, which is loosely based on a Chinese comic book, so it's allowed them to, to reach out to this much smaller niche market. But I want to go back to something you said about Day of the Dead, because I, I think it sort of ties into at least my take on zombie films. You said that it was optimistic, because everyone's still trying to survive, even though they're in, in full apocalypse. In, in some ways, it's hopeful. Um, the other thing, another thing that I liked about that is that it showed... how living under the constant stress of the apocalyptic world can break a person. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, Everybody was going crazy. And you have specifically the one guy who's holding a zombie when they're pulling one out of the pen and the, the, the noose on the end of his pole comes loose 
and he just freaks because it's not his fault. But he feels right. like he's going to get the blame because he's living under this constant pressure. That's one of the two um, sort of henchmen um, who does... Oh, no, wait. Is that... Because you have a couple scenes where they pull people out of the tunnel. Is it the one where the captain's henchmen are doing it? Or is it the one where the helicopter pilots are doing it? Because there's a point there. To, or is it where the guy gets bitten, the Hispanic guy? It's where the guy gets bitten because the zombie comes loose. Okay. The guy that was pulling him out has, you've kind of seen throughout the, sh- the movie that he's becoming frazzled, um, and he just loses it. Is it uh, So one of the two sort of captain's henchmen always remind me of, uh, I think the actor's name was Vic Tabak. He was Mel in a TV show called Alice, like a younger, not quite as heavy set diner cook, but for what it's worth. This was one of the... Uh, Guys in military uniforms. I need to rewatch the show. Dark hair, beard, mustache. Yeah, I, I think if you, you, well, they both had dark hair, beard, and mustache. One of them, like I said, even as a kid, I'm like, is that Mel from Alice? And it's like, how did he de-age? But um, no, I. When you said it was optimistic, I, the thing with the zombie genre that I think most people miss. I mean, this is apocalyptic horror, but it's ultimately really optimistic. And, and, and here's my argument for that, because of how it spreads. If you're not, right, if you're living in a totally rational, totally sort of depressing world, someone dies, you know they're dead. They stand up, you're immediately going to take them down. Kill them with fire. Maybe, you know, you don't know to shoot it in the head if you haven't seen the Romero films. But when dead things move, you kill them. Unless... You're hoping that, you know, Aunt Bessie or whatever is going to be okay, unless you have that faith that things well, will work out, I which think, is really optimistic. I think you have a few different responses to that, depending on the person. One response is to freeze and not believe it, because sometimes when you're faced with reality that right. goes against you, you go your into own, shock. You go into, yeah, you go into shock and just deny it. Um. Two, there's the, oh my God, I don't can't believe this is happening. Freak out and run away. Um, because sometimes it's some people just don't face danger as well, right? You know, you and especially with something so outside of their norm. And then there's the response of, okay, here's I just killed this thing. It's or I just saw this thing die and it's not dead. You your first. It, response for the rational person is not to think zombie it's that maybe the wound wasn't as bad. bad as i thought yeah so you don't immediately attack it and you are if it's someone you love your natural inclination is to hope that the wound exactly. wasn't as bad that's that the is, optimism that that is the hope i think um and in night of the living dead they do that with the newscast a lot the the government has to tell people these are not your loved ones do not bury them do not do funeral rites kill them, shoot them in the head, um, you know, a, a way of, of sort of discouraging our natural optimism. But the, the other reason I think zombie films are kind of optimistic, I, I mean, we think of them today, I mean, we've got the, the entire internet meme culture on zombie apocalypse, right? But the apocalypse isn't the end. The apocalypse is the beginning of something new. I, I mean, when you look at the world from that word from a, historical tradition or religious studies tradition, 
the apocalypse is the end of one world and the birth of another one. So what we see is, you know, the chance to wipe the slate clean. Now, what we see in, say, Kirkman's Walking Dead is that in that sort of situation, our, our, our worst instincts come out, right? I mean, the governor, Negan, um, Rick sometimes. Um, and yet, they're well in terminus. <laughs> and yet there are some people, and usually they wind up dead in Kirkman's world, um, but there are who people, see the chance to build. And yeah, there are people again. trying to rebuild, trying to do more than just survive. You saw that even the governor was trying to rebuild. He was a little right. sick and twisted in the head, but he was trying to rebuild. Uh, Alexandria, Rick's group itself, is constantly trying to find a place to be safe and just build their world. So they're all trying to rebuild. It is it is hopeful in that aspect. So, yeah. Now, outside of the the Walking Dead, which I'm sure if anyone's still with us, they're they're fans of. There's this whole world of of zombie books and. Um, foreign zombie movies. I mean, Korea has, uh, it's up on Netflix, uh, Train to Busan, which is interesting. Um, I was just reading a paper that uh, there's a Pakistani zombie film, which is really kind of interesting, and there's a, a series of them coming out of India right now. Um, I have my thoughts, but I'm, I'm not fully convinced on any of them yet. Why is it a global phenomenon? Why isn't it just North America? Well, I mean, there's different arguments to that. One could just be the fact that, and I hate to say it, but in some ways America sets the cultural tone for the, for the world and that other countries try to follow. Um, so American zombie films sell, so the Indians make zombie films. Yeah, I mean, that, there's an argument for that. Well, yeah. Because, there, because we've seen that with other things. I mean, it works the other way in that we America has no problem stealing other countries' films and making usually not quite as good of versions ourselves. Um, Absolutely. Well, movies like La Femme Nikita or The Ring. Um, no, I liked... Or um, Point of No Return was actually... Right, and, and I liked the American Point of No version. Return, but it wasn't... As it, good it wasn't as quite as good as the French version. Ring, The Ring is not quite as good as the Japanese version. Well, um, but, I mean, you have Seven Samurai, we get The Magnificent Seven, which is a spectacular movie. Yes, but are you saying... Seven Samurai is not? No, I, I'm, I mean, I'm saying the American movie, they actually got it right that time. They retell the Kurosawa film um, in such a way that it really could play for American audience. The, the idea of yeah, yes. needing a master in Kurosawa's one, right, because Samurai needs someone to follow, yes. really we never would have played with the American audience. Yeah, um, a Samurai without a... Daniel uh, is Ronin, uh, Ronin. yeah, um, which was a horrible movie, by the way, starring Robert De Niro. I think yes, it was De Niro. Um, so I'll try to forget that one. And I'm saying I'm not. Say, I didn't say that they're always worse. It's just usually the American version is not quite as good as the original. Right. So okay, so the Almighty Buck, and if it's and and people aren't going to make movies, so they don't think there's a market for it. Um, I mean, that's one argument for right. the global. Another is that we see, and not just in America, just around the world, there is, a, I, I think, a growing feeling that we're on the, the brink of something bad. See, and I've, I've worked with that idea on a couple of the papers that I've written because um, a lot of scholars, when you know, 2002 hit 2003, 
and all of a sudden zombie films are becoming popular and it's just grown exponentially. Uh, the logical explanation was, well, it's post 9-11 angst. The world just collapsed for us like the Twin Towers. And we're sort of watching these movies as a way of, of working through it, right? But I'm not sure that that plays out the same way everywhere. Well, but, I mean, we look at post-9-11, and but that's a very American-centric right. oh, point of view of, oh, this great tragedy happened here. Terrorist attacks around the world happen more frequently than they do in America. Oh, yeah. no, um, and You look at the destabilization, destabilization of, of Greece... Um, what was that about five or six years ago? Yeah, well, um, they haven't produced some films. No, but right, no, no, no I, 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 there, it's it's very in the public awareness, especially in Europe. You see, even if you're not Greece, you know, if you're France, you're closer to Greece than say, right. you know, one American state is the East Coast to the West Coast. Like, right, those are way away from each other. But San Francisco still felt the Twin Towers fall. Right. No, I, I, I get what you're saying there. And, and I've, I've worked in that sphere as well, thinking that it's like birth pains to the 21st century. I mean, we've got so many things that don't work anymore, and, and we're becoming aware that they don't work, um, from different political systems to economic systems to religious systems to, to whatever. And, and I, I think there's probably some truth to that, that the apocalypse, the apocalyptic films give people a way to work through the fact that they they do see parts of the world and then um, I'm not sure that I mean I, I think it may be bigger than that. Well, especially because we have, and I have to admit, even though I, I research zombie films, I haven't seen many of them. We have zombie rom coms. Um, they're not very apocalyptic. They're, they're kind of gross. <laughs> From my thought, like uh, warm bodies, warm bodies. Um, I've seen a couple episodes of I Zombie, which sort of, and I know you've told me it's great, and I enjoyed them, but it's like a hot zombie, just sort of. It's it's, it's a little. It, you can't think of it as a typical zombie because it's not. They they've gone a completely different direction. They they've at least done some interesting stuff with the show. Um, yeah. Oh, and and from the few episodes I've seen, I mean, I I, I do kind of enjoy it a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, that, Shaun of the Dead, um, have not Zombieland. seen it. Zombieland. A lot of that is once the zombie popularity rose, some of that is just people doing their own take on it. You know, right. let's, let's take the zombie mythos and twist it a little bit. And let's take the zombies and... Let's mash it up and with a comedy. Let's mash it up with a romance. Let's because doing mashups where you take one genre and stick it with another can sometimes do sometimes create great things. Right. So um, a lot of true creativity, a lot of create creativity comes from taking two disparate things and putting them together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, sometimes it works out great. Sometimes not so great. What is that uh, Picasso saying? Good artists um, borrow, great artists the steal. And I think there's some truth to that. I mean, you know, you have Romeo and Juliet, and then you get West Side Story. You know, where you take basically the exact same idea and retell it for a different audience, smash some things up. Well, and they say every story that could be told has already been told. So it's a matter of telling it in a new way, or putting a little twist on it, making it slightly different. Right. Still following the tropes. 
Um, but yeah, no, with the, the zombie comps, that's actually the, the growing section of, of international zombie films. A uh, Cuban movie called One of the Dead was just released uh, like a year ago, I guess. I still need to see that. Uh, in India, I think they're on the third one, but the first one's Goa Goa Gone. Goa Goa is an island, um, it's sort of a resort island, and Gone is, is the English word Gone. And it's, it's really interesting to see because there's all these issues with the virus is, is coming from elsewhere, like uh, Europe, and there's Russian mobsters who control this resort island, which I guess is a big problem in India. And, I mean, it's your classic zombie film. You've got three people that get trapped, zombie apocalypse happens. And yet it really is talking about the sort of European Europeanization of um, Indian, the, the cultural sort of, I guess we'd call them millennials here, the, the 20-somethings and 30-somethings with a lot of money and a lot of free time. And so in some ways they're looking at the death of their culture as yeah. the end. Exactly. That okay. the apocalypse is representing... Yeah, I mean, and that, I think that wraps us right back up to Romero because his, uh, it's a really good transition, his original idea for Night of the Living Dead, he had read uh, Matheson's um, vampire novel, um, I Am Legend, or and, well, actually it was made into a Vincent Price movie called Last Man on Earth. And then but, made again into a movie called I Am Legend with Will Smith. Well, yeah, but before that, it's a Mega Man with Charlton Heston. Same story. But the idea is, what does the world look like when it's all falling apart, when you're the last person left? And in Romero's mind, it was about failed revolution. You know, we tried something great in, you know, democracy or um, tried an, an experiment. If you read the uh, Night of the Living Dead as a racial text uh, in equality. And all of that just falls apart. Um, and that actually is really depressing um, because that is at the core of the zombie films. But, um, yeah, so Go Go Gone, um, I think to a certain extent, Train to Busan, you're watching the death of, of their culture because they're being usurped by Western culture. Um, whereas Romero in Night, and, and I think in every other movie, saw that Western culture was collapsing in on itself weren't being replaced by somebody else. We were just destroying ourselves. Yeah, our culture is disappearing. We become homogenized to where... But it's... Well, yeah, but this, like... You go to almost any city in America and you see a lot of the same stuff. It's We're losing the individual landmarks that make each city unique. Well, and we're losing... I mean, we're replacing independent burger stands with... Well, McDonald's we've done that forever. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not a new thing, right? No. I mean, you're getting rid of the mom-and-pop retailers for the malls. And like for Walmart and... Exactly. So, so that... Becoming a mass-produced consumer culture, which... Where I, everything's the same. So. All right. Well, I think we've probably spent quite a bit of time on zombies. I can't see the recorder, but I'll probably edit all of this last part out. But uh, any final words on zombies from you? I think that as long as people are willing to watch and are wanting to watch, that there will always, at this point, continue to be zombie stuff. Um, 
I think zombies are here to stay in one form or another. And I think that while a lot of zombie apocalypse movies are built on the fall or perceived fall of some form of a culture or society, they're also... I think one of the things that attracts people is that they show that even after everything falls, people can survive. Absolutely. Even if it's just for a few scenes. Yeah, even if it's just a small group. Like, because everyone is everyone is self-centered enough to think that if this happened, they'd be the ones to survive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember as a teenager, um, you know, having my zombie apocalypse escape plan. Because, you know, I knew, of course, I would make it happen. So, well, if you enjoyed this conversation and you missed the golden age of pulp, which, like I said in the beginning, I think is actually resurfacing, um, you can check us out at our website, astoundingoutpost.com. We uh, will post links to articles and maybe fiction and some other stuff, as well as um, the audio from the shows once we got them in the can. Anyways, uh, with that being said, uh, you know, George Romero, father of the zombie genre, one of the few film creators who actually introduced something new. Right, We'd never seen anything like that before. Um, did other movies, vampire movies, uh, the crazies, uh, uh, witch movies, um, Night Riders, which is a really underrated movie about the Renaissance biker gang. It's very weird. Like Renaissance Fair by the day. One of my cinematic heroes that will be dearly missed. And I guess with that, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back tonight. Thank God. I'm back. I know. All the time. Finally, we did it. You made it! Oh, boy!